Voice of San Diego podcasts are sponsored in part by a proud supporter of Monarch School and Make-A-Wish San Diego. As a nonprofit news organization, we depend on our members, foundations, and sponsors to provide funding to support the investigative journalism you expect from us. We are very grateful for all of our supporters, and we will recognize them during the show. Make-A-Wish San Diego grants wishes to children with critical illnesses in San Diego and Imperial Counties. Visit sandiego.wish.org to find out how you can help make wishes come true. And Monarch School has served San Diego for nearly three decades, beginning as a one-room education center and expanding into a K-12 comprehensive school designed to educate homeless youth. To find out more or to get involved, visit monarchschools.org. If you like Voice of San Diego's work and want to become a sponsor too, contact us at development at voiceofsandiego.org. My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible? Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego. We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids. We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. Enjoy the show. It should be an excellent school in every community. Mm, my name is Scott Lewis. And I'm Laura Cohn. Hi, Laura. Hi, Scott. How are you? Doing very well. We are in the studio right now with a new person. Yes, we are. He's got a good presence though, right? He does. I guess we're about to find out. Huh? <laughs> Will Hunsberry, welcome, Will. Hi, guys. Nice to be here. Will is uh, Voice of San Diego's new education reporter, investigative reporter on education topics, and on that effort to find and um, identify things that can make sure we have good schools for all. Yeah, yeah. Not a hard job at all. Not at all. You guys got to <laughs> fix it. Sorry. <laughs> it's a good time. We're going to uh, uh, be trying to uh, ramp back up with this uh, show, and and uh, it's a good time to do that. It's back to school. It is. We, are, we already got in a couple weeks. In our families, weeks. in our communities, it's all over the place. Yeah, so I really like back to school time, uh, the kids getting back to school, because you get the opportunity to check out all of the new stomach viruses <laughs> and all of the new head colds. And and oh, there's just some really good models out this year. Don't forget the lice. Oh, yes. The, the, the notes home saying like, hey, just want to let you know there's bugs in somebody's hair. <laughs> it's the best. It is the best. Uh, I... I I like this time of year, this September clarity, the clarity of September in San Diego. It's nice. It's not too hot right That's now. True. Yeah. And then, um, yes, and everything fires back up. I was manning the, the merch tent at the uh, PTA back to school picnic this weekend. Good dad Look duty. At you. Excellent. Brought in a lot of, I moved a lot of product. <laughs> I, was, I was walking around with the raffle tickets saying, hey, like, you know, game of chance. What do you say, guys? It's <laughs> for the kids. <laughs> went off the. It was very good. Uh, we're learning because it's a new class of PTA. You know, learning how to uh, do all the things that the previous PTA group ah, did. Yeah. Next generation. Yeah. Uh, to be clear, I'm not the volunteer. My wife is uh, is VP this year. So VP oh, officer. Uh, 
I'm sure a very highly politicized position. Yes. VP of the PTA. I don't know, man. Have you been around PTAs? They can <laughs> they be a little can rough be. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to be working well together, though. So, yes, being involved in your community. I think communities make schools good. They do. And uh, and so that's one aspect. And schools make communities good. Right. It's both ways. Let's go through a couple of stories we've had uh, recently. Will here um, turned in his first piece for Voice San Diego. There and, weren't too many red marks, fortunately. Yeah, it was a good one. Um, uh, we we talked about uh, a small pot of school funds regularly mismanaged. So this is a student body fund. So these are the funds that uh, they collect from like football games and stuff like that? Yes, you got it. Bank sales, a lot of PTA events. Yeah. Okay. So that money is supposed to be reserved for student use. That's right. That money is supposed to be just for students. And the students are supposed to kind of have ownership over it, you know, especially at the high school and middle school level. The associated student body group is supposed to be getting together, making those decisions. If if the students wanted to spend that money on the teachers, in theory, they could, you know, but it's supposed to be the student money. Got it. Got it. Um, And so then what did you find? Well, uh, I found what seems to be uh, the findings every year when we talk about ASB funds. Um, A report came out that San Diego Unified issued, and basically it said these funds are regularly mismanaged to the extent that the staff member who's in charge of it usually doesn't know the checks the money's supposed to go through. There weren't dual cash counts. They don't have receipts to back up what they're saying the money was spent on. And, and then sometimes, you know, there's even abuse of the funds. I mean, that's been found a lot in the past. And in this particular audit, it found that the money was going to teacher training in several instances where it wasn't supposed to. Oops. I mean, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't think the ASB signed off on that. And um, there was one school in this particular audit that was so bad, they're going to do a deeper dive into it and presumably will find out more. But they didn't tell me which school that is. So this is this was San Diego Unified School District, to be clear. And so there's several stu- schools in that that they pulled. Um, why did they pull out the ones that, the, that you had listed there? I believe that it was 24, and I believe that those were due for an audit. It was their language. I don't remember exactly how they decided which ones were due. Um, I mean, I think it's also just kind of a random polling to see how the schools are doing. You know, when there's yeah. 24 schools, the the problems we find consistently are probably happening at the rest of the 160-odd schools, right? And in other districts, ASB dollars, it's not just this community or this state. It's all over the country. It's sure. small dollars moving. Um, staff aren't trained to manage cash drawers, They're et cetera. They're overwhelmed it's with other re- things. Exactly. It's really easy to lose track of it. The misuse is yes. a different dimension. And, and, and it's important because, I mean, if you're talking about a couple hundred thousand dollars or half a million dollars or a million it? dollars in some in past years in some cases, I mean, that's a lot of money. And there have been cases where it's just straight up gone missing, 20 grand gone. We don't know where it went. And Cindy Martin, when she came in in 2013, promised she was going to fix this. And one of the things she talked about to fix it was better training and you know what they talked about at the audit meeting I was at just a few weeks ago? Uh, better training? You got it. Better training. So so maybe that training is going to hit the spot this time. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Let's take a pause for a second. And just uh, you've probably noted that uh, Will has a, an accent. <laughs> uh, it's a, 
It's no, subtle. No, <laughs> I, I love it. Um, tell Me us too. where you're from and uh, um, uh, you know uh, what you've been doing till now. Sure, sure. So uh, I, I occasionally you'll never believe this, but sometimes people are like, "Are you from Australia?" And I'm like, oh, "Really? I hmm. assure you that I'm not. <laughs> I'm actually from the American South, yeah. uh, North Carolina, <laughs> to be specific." And I spent some years reporting there before I went to grad school. And so I've been cycling around the country, New York, Washington, D.C. And and finally, I ended up here in this nice, unhumid, sunny climate. Yeah. So you, you actually covered school boards before in North Carolina, right? I did. I did. That was how I got my start. And, um, you know, I... I uh, Got into reporting after being an English major. I thought, I'm going to take this to the highest literary heights, you know, the next Hunter S. Thompson. But uh, I ended up getting assigned to cover the school board. Not what I expected. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And part of what I didn't expect was how awesome it was. I mean, you know, I ended up having a really good time diving into the policy side of it. Definitely not what I expected. And, you know... Holding that district accountable to the promises they made. And and interestingly, it was Wake County, North Carolina. It's really close in size to San Diego Unified. It's about 160,000 students, but it's a countywide district instead of just a, a city mm-hmm. district like San Diego is. And uh, yeah, yeah, I had some some uh, stories that ruffled some feathers. Well, in particular, you you followed an equity issue, right? Yes, there was a big equity issue there around student assignment policy, and mm-hmm. uh, that's hot in North Carolina. Yes, and and you know there I heard they were talking about a recent unified meeting I was at too, but mm-hmm. but there especially where we had um, forced integration mm-hmm. after the Brown decision, uh, districts had to figure out how they were going to integrate all these schools, and what Raleigh, North Carolina, came up with was we're going to make a big county district. That was the way it'll be easier to to mix students up together. That diversity policy went through several iterations over the decades, and um, it was a really uh, highly acclaimed policy for for making sure there weren't any high poverty schools in the district. They eventually had to move from race as the metric to socioeconomic indicators, and um, then it's a long story. I'll try to make it as short as possible. The district started growing really fast. It started being really hard to bust those students around in a way that made sense. And people were getting really upset about it. They moved to a choice assignment policy that was more neighborhood schools based. And they said that that policy, that choice policy would not create high poverty schools or it wouldn't make them worse than it was. Mm-hmm. So I did an analysis that found out that, in fact, choice was socioeconomic, socioeconomically um, segregating the schools more than before. So after my reporting, the school board decided we're going to go back to a diversity model. We're not going to do this neighborhood schools choice thing. We're going to continue to try to balance school populations. What was the neighborhood school choice thing? So. Um, like here you can apply to any school and you get, if you get in, you go, you might be from across the, uh, the district. Was it, was that the same kind of thing that was implemented or? Yes. It was a similar thing where you picked your top three or top five and the compute, a computer or an algorithm had a set of priorities like 
sibling or um, several other ones, which I can't remember off the top of my head. And yeah, if, if you if there were slots in the school and you met the criteria, you'd be at the first of the list to get into that school. And you could theoretically choose into any school in the district if you wanted to. But anything, any assignment policy that puts a preference for neighborhood schools is then going to ha- cause the schools to reflect the neighborhoods around them. And so that make, you know, since our housing is segregated, that tends to make our schools more segregated. That's exactly right. And I'm sure that's part of what was exacerbating it there. Um, not to mention the fact that there were a lot of people who just weren't taking part in the choice process, which is probably true of all choice programs. And so mm-hmm. when certain parents who aren't that engaged in the system don't take part in it, that's going to shut affect how things shake out as well. When you moved here uh, and you started looking at our school stuff, you went through a crash course. It's been about (laughs) a month, right? Or so? (laughs) Yes, yes. You guys gave me some time. I appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) uh, you've been reading, you've been watching some meetings, you've been reading some reports. Uh, What what are kind of your first takeaways of what you've, um, you know, witnessed what you've seen, what's obviously different from other places you've been and what's, you know, just the same old story you've seen in el- elsewhere? Um, Let's see. That's an interesting question. I, you gave me the beginnings of my crash course, which was the great Scott Lewis talk. Apparently he gives it to all the reporters here. There's a whiteboard involved, a county map. Uh, it <laughs> I was... need to buy an actual map to do it. Uh, maybe we'll Were you handing your some... phone across the couch or something? No, no. I just draw. I <laughs> oh, you draw it on your right hand. And, right. and then I tell them. It's just a basics on here's what the county is, here's what the city is, here's what the Santa Unified School District is, here's all what the water authority is and the port. And I realized like nobody knows this stuff. And it's it's on the, on the one hand, it gives me a great opportunity to, you know, be, be a, a teacher. person who educates oh. people on the <laughs> world. And on the other Share hand, Share some specific it's knowledge. really dismaying. Like, I, you know, like the number of people who don't know the very basics about how the school district works or the port or water. It's crazy. There's so little. In fact, I bet you if you know what the San Diego Association of Governments is, you know what Voice of San Diego is. And if you don't, you don't. Oh, it'd be and good to study that bad, correlation. Because we need a lot more readers and there's not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the, the talk made me feel definitely very connected to the community. We've got to know how these government organizations sure. work together. So, I mean, you know. It was a pretty good talk, Scott. I'm not Thank just you. telling you that. Maybe we should record it, huh, Adriana? I don't know. I don't know if everyone needs it. But what was it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I will tell you a couple of things that, that stuck out to me. I don't know if any of it will be too earth-shattering. Sure. But um, like I said, the difference in a county district and a city district, uh, you know, if the entire counties taken into account here, San Diego, we're talking about like 500,000 mm-hmm. students. So I think that's a big challenge for me on the beat is being able to consider those other 350,000 students in my reporting who don't go to San Diego Unified. It's going to be really challenging with 42 school districts in the county. You know? There's 42? Is yeah, that's I right. think wow. that's right. Some of them are tiny, but some of them not some, tiny at all, like right. Sweetwater and Escondido and Oceanside. There's a lot of big ones. Yeah, there are. The other thing I will say uh, is that, you know, the I was I, one thing I've looked at is the margin of teacher pay in the budget, which here in San Diego is above 90 percent and may 
grow even further? And I think it's a really interesting question. How close can it get to 100%? When I was in Wake County, I think it was only about 85%, you know, Hmm. and so it's always going to be the vast majority of the budget, no matter where you are. But that difference between 85% and 95% what does that mean for for programs and equipment needs and well Upkeep equipment and, yes yeah. well and that's actually you know part of the discussion right now because we're at San Diego Unified and at Sweetwater and several other districts are once again considering uh, bonds uh, tax increases to support construction bonds you can pass a tax increase for school construction needs at 55% of the vote, which if you were just trying to pass a tax for, you know, regular teacher salaries or something, you would need two thirds of the vote. Mm -hmm. Thus, we get a lot more of those construction bonds and tax increases. And they figured out a way to make a lot of them pay for major repairs and maintenance. And so the major repairs and maintenance part of the budget of these, you know, school districts can, can shrink and be filled by uh, some of these teacher salaries. And that's part of the argument they made that at least the last time. I don't know that they can shrink it anymore. They're probably getting to like, you know, you go halfway towards a wall, but each time you go halfway and you never actually touch it. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, plus, some... plus there are a lot of districts that have never passed a capital bond in San Diego yeah. County. And so they don't, they don't have that relief on the horizon. Right. Is that true? I yeah. didn't realize that there were some. I don't know about never, but through. haven't in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's going to be at $60 per uh, $100,000 of home value within the city of San Diego, the new um, measure that the San Diego Unified School District is putting out within most of the city of San Diego. And so on a three or $400,000 house, that's, you know, um, uh, 180 or $240. So that's, uh, it's, it's something. It's, a, it's an annual tax increase. It's a chunk of change. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um I, I'm looking forward to finding out more. I mean, it's a fascinating district right on the border with Mexico. That's something totally new for me and yeah. a really big chunk of English language learners. Uh, and, uh, you know, I hope to absolutely serve them in the reporting. So, hey, what about uh, so North Carolina is a right to work state That's and right. we have powerful unions here in San Diego. That's right. What have you seen on that front so far? Uh, you know, I think that in North Carolina, I found that people at the school level who weren't union protected were really scared to talk to a reporter. And I thought maybe that would be more different here where they have union protections. Turns out they still aren't very keen to talk to a reporter. So (laughs) that's a shame. (laughs) Obviously, uh, the union pull here is is strong, and I think you can see that reflected in salaries. I mean, up until a year or two ago, North Carolina was at the very bottom of the barrel in terms of teacher salaries. And uh, so I, I think that's certainly one thing to note, a big difference in salaries, but a big difference in teachers' influence in elections, too. Uh, they probably have a lot more here. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, um, you jumped right into uh, some of the more tense discussions that we've had around here. <laughs> you had a piece uh, last week about report urges San Diego Unified to track students who leave before graduating. So this was kind of the coda, or I thought it would be the coda, on on our almost two-year quest to try to understand the graduation rate at the San Diego Unified School District. So just for background, 
uh, saying unified uh, uh, touted a ninety-one uh, percent graduation rate, and and they themselves called it a miracle and said it was an amazing achievement. And it was particularly interesting because uh, an academic who had been doing work on the class of twenty sixteen had worried and had raised alarm that the graduating class, uh, a big portion of it, was not on track to graduate. Right. And so um, he, this is Julian Betts at the University of California, San Diego, had, had warned that it's, you know there be, needed to be some interventions. Now, that class was the first class that had had to deal with higher graduating, graduating standards. So they had to conform to the A through G requirements, to perform the bare minimum of requirements to get into the CSU or the University of California systems. So all of that was combined on this class of 2016. When that number came out, we all just said, let's find out how they did it and what goes into that. Because there's a, it's not necessarily a measurement of the people who entered high school versus the ones who graduated. Not right. that simple. Mm-mm. There's a lot of people who leave the district within that time, and there's um, and in particular one thing that we started focusing on was that a lot of the uh, high school students left um, the uh, traditional schools to go into charter schools, and they were struggling. And had they been had they stayed in this in the high school that they were at, that they might have brought that graduation rate down. We never said anything like, you didn't calculate your graduation rate the way you should have. Right. What we said was, this is what goes into that. So there was a, there was a committee formed based on that reporting. And uh, we didn't know, but uh, you found out that they actually uh, did release a report on that a draft report as they're driving. A draft. We must say a draft. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that report um, acknowledged that yes, had these kids uh, remained in the system, then they would right. have brought the graduation rate down. And they provided a couple recommendations about what to do about that. Right. They did. They did indeed. Um, the report uh, clearly came out as a part of voices reporting. And um, some of the things that it said were that the school district should take note of how many people leave the district each year, especially how many leave for charters within the district. And it should note how academically behind they are uh, when they leave. And, you know, it talked about how a lot of those students who have left in the past have been behind as far back as third grade. You know, uh, so it's not that the indicators weren't there that these students weren't succeeding. So so we had to, you know, uh, public records request that information. The committee saying you need to put that information out every year so the community can see it, so they can understand what really goes into a 91 percent graduation rate. And they're, of course, also saying you need to intervene with these students. You need to note who these students are. You need to intervene and you need to try to keep them in a traditional public school instead of going to a, a district charter. You know, Richard Barrera was was really clear on that in his remarks that the school district has an obligation to find those students, keep them in, help them do better, as opposed to potentially counsel them to leave to go to a charter school, which is what a sum of voices reporting found like, as well. I like the part of the report that's recommending them to really focus upstream before they get into high school. It's not just retaining them when they're about to slip 
um, out of the district schools, but really going earlier. And I actually know the district has done some work to invest in its data systems to do that kind of an early warning system. So it's really more a matter of activating around that information. They've already set up the mechanisms to track it. Yeah. they And they, you know, it, it, there could be even an argument that says like, okay, some of these charter schools might serve them better. So that's why we wanted to like, you totally. know, encourage them to go there or whatever. And, and, you know, they never really wanted to engage that. And so um, one of the things I wanted to step back from is, yeah, this report did seem, you know, this committee's work did seem pretty good. It might've got lost in some of the, um, you know, back and forth we had with the district about this, but actually the report seems to have taken a, an authentic look at this situation and provided some real things that might, um, that might change the dynamics of what these kids experience and the kind of interventions they, they get while they're struggling. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the district, uh, you know, I, I found this out the hard way, just stepping into this, just how hard the district has pushed back against some of our reporting on this. You know, they created a whole website devoted to refuting what we had written. Um, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, this is a story about investigative journalism does its job. You know, it pushed the school district to do better. And now this report has said the school district needs to do better. So it would be a little infuriating, some of these Twitter fights. But but I think that's the clear narrative here. Yeah. All right. Uh, we tracked another story, uh, a long ongoing quest about all that we're finding out in the troubled situation with some teachers who um, are accused of uh, sexual misconduct with students at their high schools and then uh, or at their schools and and then the kind of situations they deal with where they're allowed to either continue working in schools or within the education field. So this week we, uh, uh, we learned, uh, Ashley McGlone revealed that in Poway, uh, two teachers at separate schools had been forced out for having romantic relationships with students, but that um, the uh, district settled with them and agreed not to uh, tell future employees about what, what had happened. And there was some, there's, there's actually like kind of two different types of cases and that we're, we're, we're starting to uncover. One is this sort of grooming pattern that we're seeing with some, um, teachers that, you know, are very cognizant of the 18, Mm. you know, year limit. And, and, and then right when that flips or even sometimes before, you know, they, they're right before the teenage girl has her birthday. Let's, you know, make it real. Sorry. Right. Yeah. And so it, yeah, and it's really hard to talk about this stuff. I'm sorry, but it's become. Yeah, as the mother of a 16 year old, it's really close to home. As the mother of a 16 year old in the San Diego High School District, that's uh, been revealed to have harbored some of these right. predators. And so in this case, um, the two the two of the teachers went on to continue working in the education field, um, and and then so then the other t- type that we seem to find a lot or have been finding is of. Uh, and I, and I want to keep the scale in perspective here. We're, we're talking about, you know, a few cases in each district that we found so far. So by far, you know, still a, a small fraction of educators. But what really is troubling is how they're, they're, they're allowed to continue working or they're transferred to different schools or some other situation like that, that, that that's what we're worried about. And, and the other type then is we're seeing a lot of these teachers who are, inappropriately touching or talking to students or otherwise um, invading their space or sexually bullying them. And so that's, that's a little bit different style than, than, 
this other situation that we're uncovering. And so in both cases, what these districts are starting to reveal to us is that it, it makes a lot more financial sense for them to settle with the educators as opposed to pursuing these long, drawn-out battles to fire them. So, And when they settle, then that's when the problems come in, right? Because they, they, the they settlement have. includes we're not going to reveal what you've been doing and your teaching credential, if it gets stripped, it's going to take some time. So that lag is where they get another job. They're potentially hurting somebody else, right? Right, exactly. And so um, that's more what we're trying to undercover. And the reason, so they can agree to these things, but the reason we've been able to find out about them is the is I think a little understood state law that we're allowed to access some of these uh, records about investigations into sexual misconduct if the investigation is a substantial or b substantiated, um, and so um, well actually not either or it's both it has to be both and so mm-hmm. um, in those cases they are public records. What happens is that we request those public records and then. Um, a notice goes out to the people involved whose records will be released and they have the opportunity to file what's called a reverse PRA or reverse public records act wow. request um, action and then try to block that. And so in many cases we've had to go to court to overcome some of those. So we're still waiting for, uh, there's uh, 10,000 pages of documents in our office and then um, we're still waiting for, for records uh, from some of the larger places, including the San Diego Unified School District, which, of course, the largest district, um, just if this was a ratio, would indicate that there's probably um, several cases that, that are worth looking at there. So uh, we'll, we'll let you know when we find those out. So nothing nothing too serious for you to walk into to try to get your arms around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, thanks for this opportunity, Scott. Yeah, no, I really appreciate <laughs> taking it on. This, you know, uh, providing safe and and great schools for students is is has got to be a, a region's top priority. You know, mm-hmm. um, we talk about priorities around here: tourism, the stadiums, and stuff like that. Like, yeah. come on, this has got to be the baseline, most important thing that we do: safe, good schools. Absolutely. All right, and in that respect, what is working this week? So I love the what's working this week because uh, in the spirit of back to school, I sent my son off to college. Oh my gosh, that last happened. Last week, yes. And so he's uh, in his new classes. Do and you feel free or terrified constantly or both? No, not or terrified. Uh, a little bit lonely, a little bit sad. Um, but one of the weird things is like he's off the radar. You know, we hear from him yeah. every so often, but just like to not have that that sort of day-to-day awareness of what he's up to and to know he's making decisions on his own is really a big shift. Does he have somebody doing his laundry? Or no, <laughs> no, he's, he's able to do his own laundry. Good. Can you imagine he's what well, kind of food well he's equipped. eating right now? It's probably terrible. Yeah, he's 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 snapshotted a few of his plates. Of, okay, well, uh, well congratulations gravy, on potatoes. the laundry thing. Oh, thank you. Yes. I just can't yeah, picture we do my son right. ever doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to work on it. You he's, will. He's only eight. Yeah, you he's only eight. You've got time. Okay. Anyway, he went to the uh, university bookstore mm-hmm. today and was shocked at the oh, cost of the that. textbooks. Yes. And he actually walked out without buying them because he was so appalled by it and wow. said, this is another thing, mom, that needs to get fixed about education. And so oh. here we have a What's Working, which is SDSU has put in place a system where you can um, get access to the text electronically for your courses, even before you enroll in the class uh, or before you finalize your enrollment. And then if you decide to enroll, it's sort of like a subscription. So if you decide to enroll, 
then you don't cancel the subscription. You start paying. And if you uh, leave the class, you can cancel your subscription, get out of the textbook. And they are able to do bulk purchasing that way and substantially reduce the cost to students to the tune of about $2 million in cost to students each year. Wow. So my son will be happy to hear that there might be a solution on the horizon. That's Why are they so well. expensive? Why? I mean, is it, is it because it's a captive audience? These students have to buy these books so they can mark the price up to whatever they want? Yes. I do remember the insanity of, you know, $130 books. No book I read for pleasure costs that much. No. Yeah, it's like the limited market in a way, so it's not going to sell millions, and so they the the and I think it also is and they that. constantly update them, right? So oh, of like course, yes. yes. <laughs> so the that story, of course, came to us from KPBS. Uh, so they quote uh, Linda Woods, an instructor, instructional designer at the school's uh, IT department, and she says, "Now I think we're up to like ninety four to ninety six percent of students opting in. So when publishers are guaranteed that they're going to sell a to that level, they're willing to negotiate the price down. So it's uh, it might be, and bear with me here, <laughs> the proverbial win-win. Okay. <laughs> what win does that? Happen? Yeah. Who's, who? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so yes, textbooks crazy. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I just want to say one more thing, which is that I think when your son started going to kindergarten, your perspective on education shifted oh, somewhat. Oh, big time. Yeah. yeah. So. My kid going to higher ed, I'm, my level of interest in, uh, yeah, in uh, <laughs> higher ed has increased substantially. My perspective on it is different. So we'll see how that shows up in the Where podcast. Where did he end up? University of Denver. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. DU. DU. Good. Well, congrats. That, he's a pio, a pioneer. Uh, in dorms and all that? Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's in a suite with four guys, and they share a bathroom and a kitchen. So it's not, not only has to do his laundry, he has to clean the bathroom and the kitchen. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. A few of those bathrooms. <laughs> All right. Our number of the week. So our number of the week is one that's really intrigued me. It's that 10%, about 10% of people who rent out their homes on Airbnb, or I guess we should use past tense, who did rent out their homes on Airbnb in San Diego County were our educators. Wow. So pulling in some extra income through the gig economy. Yeah, we got that story from the UT uh, Union Tribune. And I I think there was some speculation that maybe, you know, because of their flexible schedules, especially in the summer, that they they might have more time to rent out their place for Airbnb. It's not necessarily just for income subsidy, but probably, uh, wait, a win-win? Yeah, it, it appears to be an, another win-win. You're right. I, I think it's a There's little a bit of both. here. <laughs> all right. Well, um, well Will, uh, I appreciate you taking all this on, and, and uh, you obviously have a, a great approach and, and care for, for the students out there, and, and we're looking forward to seeing what you do. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, no, it is, it is really an exciting difficult challenge, but uh, one I'm happy to have you guys support on and and yeah. So one of the things uh, Will might work on is some profiles of interesting people and also would love to hear your tips. So you can get a hold of him at uh, is it just, can you just do will at voicesandiego.org? Some of us you can, that. yeah, or yeah, at vosd.org. Right. You know, when I told Laura that you could shorten our email address that she said it changed her life. Yeah, Will at VOSD.org, Will, W-I-L-L at VOSD.org, and let him know what you think. Yep. Uh, And also what what kinds of things he should chase. And uh, I really appreciate you taking that on, and thanks for coming in, guys. Glad you're here, Will. Thanks, guys.